Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Uh, this is Deb from Media Night Radio. As everyone knows, I am um, able to have our wonderful featured guest tonight, Kevin Chalfont. Uh, music fans know Kevin best from his time as lead singer for the uber-popular group Journey for a limited run. Chalfont's first national success came when he joined the group 707 in 1982. With Chalfont on lead vocals, the band enjoyed its biggest hit, Megaforce, which peaked at number 12 on Billboard's mainstream rock chart. But soon after, they disbanded. In 1984, Chalfont joined this band, Feel Breeze. He recorded one album with the band, Heart on the Line, before leaving in 1985. Chalfont later formed Storm, in 1990, with guitarist Josh Ramos and former Journey members Ross Valerie, bass, Greg Rowley, keys, and Steve Smith, drums. Journey, a multi-platinum band that was also no stranger to internal conflict, had undergone several personnel changes over the years. As Journey was splintering, the storm was brewing. Released by Interscope Records in late 1991, The storm hit the album chart and the band's first single, I've Got a Lot to Learn About Love, surged well into the top 40 of the Hot 100. Starting even better at mainstream rock radio, the single peaked at number six on the national billboard charts, and its follow-up, Show Me the Way, went to number 22. That spring, the band went on to a major U.S. tour with Brian Adams and opened for Peter Frampton. When the band was ready to release the second album, the label was em- was immersed in the genre of rap. Therefore, when the album was finally released in 1996, the band was no longer viable. In 1993, Journey came calling, but by 1995, Steve Perry decided to return to the band, leaving Chalfant out. After some time off, Chalfant put out his first solo album and now is a member of the Voices of Rock. Kevin will be performing as part of the Strip at Night series for the pre-race at the Luxor Hotel on December 2nd at 2 p.m. Let's welcome to the airwaves, Kevin Schofant. Hi, Kevin. Oh, but enough about me. What about you, Deb? What have you done? Oh, oh that would be a very boring interview. <laughs> I just can't wait till Thanksgiving turkey goes out on the table. How about that pumpkin pie, huh? Oh, that sounds <laughs> wonderful. I'm so excited. It's the holiday season, and I'm going to be in Vegas soon. Are you going to be in Vegas? Um, I am going to try to make it, absolutely. I, I hope you can make it out. It's you know, I it's kind of it's kind of funny because when I signed the contracts to uh to perform in Vegas uh for this this wonderful rock and roll marathon, it said that we were performing at the Mandalay Bay and now I'm I'm reading that I'm I'm gonna be at the Lexar. I have no idea where I'm performing in Las Vegas. <laughs> I'm just gonna show up and somebody'll pick me up and just take me where we're supposed to go. I don't know. Absolutely. Anyway, it's so cool to be with you. Oh, absolutely. It's it's wonderful to have you grace our airways. It's wonderful uh, to have a legend like you. Well, you know, nobody's called me Grace for quite a while, but go ahead and call me that if you want. We're friends now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, to start this off, I understand and I hear that Baxter 
Baxter, your dog, has his own Facebook page. You know what? Baxter's the man. He is the man. I, I You know, my daughter, when she was in college, uh, she's got a big heart. And she um, and my niece, they were at a, a little party or whatever, get together, and somebody came in with these two pups. Baxter and his sister, I don't know what her name is now, but she's, she's found a good home as well. But they were going to put these two dogs down. And Baxter, uh, he just came over, sat on Melinda's feet, and sat there all night. And they played, and then, you know, he she kind of went over and set him down somewhere across the room. And he walked right back, sat on her feet again. So he she made a phone call and said, hey, um, I'm coming home this weekend. I was like, what? Yeah, coming home, I got a surprise for you guys. So they drove home, my my niece and my uh, daughter drove back home, which was about a f- almost five hours. Wow. Brought the dogs back, dropped them off, and took off and uh, went back to school the next day. Uh, they would not let them put them dogs down. And Baxter is the coolest little guy. Um, he's my buddy. He's He's got his own Facebook page. Yep. Well, how did they... TV show for crying out loud? <laughs> Kevin and Baxter. The, no, no, the... just the Baxter. It's no, the Baxter show. I, I, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm just his buddy. <laughs> that's that's a pretty cool story, though. How you got him? though. that's great. He's a he's really a good little guy. You know, he looks like a golden retriever, but. Um, he looks like like one of the corgis next door jumped the fence, and they you know his mom was a golden retriever and the dog was a the, the dad was a corgi or something because his legs are only about ten inches long and he, but he's got a full length body so he's a short little guy like me. He fits right in with the family. You know. No, that that's. That's very heartwarming. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. No, that's it's so wonderful that that your daughter and uh, your niece saved uh, those two dogs. Though that's a wonderful, wonderful story. Yeah, we um, we love Bex. Oh, it sounds like it. When um, was the first time that you realized that you wanted to pursue music as a career? Well, um, it's funny. I. I uh, just in the last couple of weeks, of, uh, a good friend of mine, um, we were just little guys, you know, probably 11, 12 years old, and um, he played the drums, and, and I played a little bass, a little, you know, and then we had another friend that was a singer, and, and we would just jam, and his mom came home and said one day and said, uh, hey, I got you guys a gig. I'm like, what? Yeah, you guys are playing over here at this this grade school, and then later on you're going to play at the high school. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. We only knew like four songs, you know. And we didn't even have a guitar player. So she, it doesn't matter. The kids will have fun, you know, which they did. We we played. I think we got 150 bucks. I was like 10 or 11, <laughs> you know. And, um, and uh, uh, you know, his, his mom just passed away, and I went to uh, her services, and, and he said... Uh, you know, uh, it's funny how, you know, sometimes funerals will bring people back together again. I hadn't really seen him in a long time, even though we were Facebook friends. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, do you remember what the name of that band was? 
And I was like, I have no idea, man. That was a long time ago. And he says, he so he sent me on Facebook a private message of the clipping from the newspaper oh. from 1966. Oh, my God. The band was called The Figments of the Imagination or something like that. <laughs> Figments of the imagination. I mean, wow. does that sound like a 1966 band? Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, I guess maybe then I was I was getting inklings, but um, by the time you know I got into my teens, I started getting into some bands that we you know we were. We were making plans, you know. We were we were going to be huge. By the time I was nineteen, um, eighteen, nineteen, um, I was in a band that we started recording up in Chicago. And one of the biggest song pluggers in the business um, kind of took an interest in us, and um, they hooked us up with um, this guy by the name of uh, Frankie Rand, who was a a producer, he had produced uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, I think, and, you know, some of the big bands out of Chicago and stuff. So I kind of, you know, I started getting an inkling that this is kind of what I was going to do. Um, but then, um, you know, 1981-ish came around, and um, and a good friend of mine, George Tutko, who was an engineer who I had played in a band with back in you know in our teens early teens he was um working out in Los Angeles at Cherokee Studios and worked for a lot of different record uh, companies and stuff uh doing projects and at, at at the time when I had talked to him on the phone in 81 he was working with Mellencamp I mean he had done actually at that time it was Johnny Cougar uh he had hurt so good he had just cut that and did uh, worked with Rod Stewart tonight's the night, and I mean just a lot of really big records and stuff. And so I had talked to George and said, "Hey, I'm looking for a band, you know, to uh, maybe branch out and you know and, and do something um, something bigger." And the next phone call on his answering machine was from Kevin Russell from 707, the guitar player, saying, "George, if you hear of a singer." Uh, will you let me know we're looking for a, for a lead singer? So here's these two Kevins looking for one another on George Tutko's answering machine. I mean, as crazy as that sounds, um, it's the truth. And so George just kind of called me and called him and said, "Hey, I I think I found what you guys are both looking for. Let's pu- let's put you guys together." And then George ended up sort of co-producing the record, and that was um, the Megaforce record. Uh, with Boardwalk Records, and so once that happened, uh, there's you know it would take dynamite and gasoline to keep me out of this business, you know, and I've been doing it ever since. So that that is truly uh, an amazing uh, you know first experience and and how it grew and became what you what you do now. That's amazing. Well, you know. I uh I wanted to I wanted to do this for forever, you know. It's kind of been in my blood for forever, you know. Um 
starting with when I was a little bitty guy, my next door neighbor ended up being my first grade teacher. And my parents were, they, they worked in a glass factory. My hometown, Streeter, Illinois, was like the glass container capital of the world. So we had two huge glass producing factories that made bottles and jars and stuff like that. And um, so when my parents would go to work, a lot of times I would end up over um, at um, Loretta Condon's house, and she was a piano player and quite accomplished. So she would teach me. She was Irish. This is so funny. She was Irish. I'm French-Italian, and she would be teaching me Irish songs. So I would be singing these Irish songs when I'd go home, and my mom would look at me and what are you singing that? Well, you put me over there, you know. So so she's teaching me all these Irish songs. And, and what's kind of funny is that, that Celtic stuff, you know, it was just really, um, I, 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 I loved it, you know. And it kind of got it in, it got down in my soul. And, and um, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the earliest memories I have of, like, really starting to sing. And then I'll tell you, I've shared this with a lot of young people because I, I have a recording studio now, and I do, you know, I do work with young singers, um, produce them, write songs with them, and, and I try to, you know, put a little something back uh, into the young folks and stuff. And I tell them, I say, you know, you, you probably won't do this, but I used to sleep with the radio on. I, I would always have a radio playing next to my bed all night. So I think that all of these songs and these 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 chops, all the great singers during the sixties and seventies, I mean they just they just filled my head with licks and song, you know, and music and um I think that really helped me to before I even knew how to sing, I was listening to great singers. So all I was doing when I started to sing was just try to mimic some of these wonderful great R and B singers, blues singers, rock singers, um you know, just all kinds of eclectic sort of music. So um you know, it, it all adds up in the end to to um give you some kind of a design and and a style I guess. Wow. Amazing. Uh, okay, so as you yeah, you were mentioning about band seven oh seven, you produced the hit Mega Force, which was a you know, mega hit. And um what what do you think about that album like spoke to people and made them so drawn to that music? Um well, you know, um I don't know. Maybe it was just a lot of energy. You know, we we kind of got thrown into it, uh, you know, because it, it was just a sort of a it was a whirlwind. I'll tell you, George George would tell would, would he would introduce me to people later on. He'd say things like, you know, Kevin lived out in the cow pastures, okay. And then, you know, here I, George had moved out to Los Angeles back in the 70s, and I, I, I think I showed up around mm, late 81 is when I showed up in L.A. Um, and he said, I flew out to L.A., I landed, I went straight to Keith Olson's recording studio, and we cut Megaforce with Keith Olson. He was probably the number one producer in Los Angeles at the time. 
Um, right. And you know, and we, I just I left my suitcase in the car. He said, and I went in, and I just sang my butt off on Megaforce, and we were there for like a day and a half or whatever. And then we went back up to Northern California, where the band actually was sort of stationed, if you will, and um, finished the rest of the record up there. But he says, you know, I, I George had been struggling. And, you know, eating uh, beans and weenies, you know, for so many years. And here Kevin just shows up in Los Angeles and just, you know, sweeps up with the biggest producer <laughs> in the business. And, wow. and uh, you know, uh, when I think back about it, it's like it's kind of like what happened, you know. I, I, I just went from playing a lot of clubs and, you know, and getting a break once in a while and getting to do a festival here and there with my band and never really had made a record with that band here and, and I've stayed with the same bands, you know, for a long time. Right. Uh, kind of a loyal guy and sometimes it would it would actually hold hold me back, you know, but uh I really uh, I'm kind of a loyal guy. I've been actually married to my wife now uh coming up in January here 39 years. So I've been wow. with my wife since I was in high school and oh. uh, you know uh, it's kind of a rarity in this business, um, definitely. <laughs> you know, but I, I, I have to say that you know, uh, we made a commitment a long time ago that you know, look, you know, we're not going to let the business run us. We're just going to run the business, and we're going to, you know, we're going to be grounded and we're going to have some values, and we're this is what we committed to one another and you know and not to say that we never had problems you always have problems and right. and people try to create problems for you because right. they know that you're you know you you've got um a life uh, outside of music and uh, uh and children and whatnot so uh you know I'm 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 kind of a rarity in the business I guess that way but um I don't know I I I, I feel like I have a life, you know. I, I I don't really, I never did really go for living in Los Angeles and being a part of that um, that lifestyle because I, I don't know. Coming from a small town in the Midwest, it wasn't appealing to me. It was fun to go there. It was fun to hang out, but you know, I I, I don't know. It just got really old really fast to me. So. <laughs> Did you raise your kids in Illinois, where you came from? Well, I, um, you know, my I had two sons when we moved to California, and um, my sons were, I don't know, maybe fourteen and ten when wow. our daughter came along. You know, so we had a big gap, ten year gap, between having two kids to go into three, and then once my daughter was born. Um, you know, by that point, I was in the storm and touring, and um, by that point, my my sons had already kind of we we had dad, we need to sit down and talk, <laughs> kind of a, a oh. meeting. And I'm like, okay, well, let's hear what you have to say. And they and basically they were like, well, you know, um, you've been touring for quite a while, and you know, all the other kids get to play catch with their dad and all that stuff, and, you know, we kind of feel like we missed out on that. And so when that conversation went down, my boys, they grew up real fast, uh, you know, I, I kind of thought, all right, all right, I, I, I get the picture, and then I started looking at my daughter, and I'm like, okay, so 
at that this, at that juncture in time, we decided, hey, you know what? We're going to move Melinda, you know, back to Illinois and let her get to know her family and stuff. So that's what we did. Thanks, Shane. Um, and and you know, I don't regret that whatsoever. I mean, it was a, really a, a good move uh, for us because you know my oldest son Jason had graduated from high school, and and then our youngest son was just going between, um, you know, I mean he 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 wasn't in high school yet, so uh, moving during the grade school years is a lot easier than moving during the high school years. So mm-hmm. we just sent our youngest son back here ahead of time, and then we packed up everything. We moved back. Um, and uh, you know, built a new home, and I had a recording studio in the home, and and by that point, internet was just starting to sort of take a hold, you know. And we thought, well, if I'm in a touring band, I can tour, I can fly out, I can fly from work. I, I was flying everywhere I went anyway. Right. If I wasn't on a tour bus, so uh, why not just uh, let my family, while I'm traveling all the time, be amongst. Uh, a support group with the kids, and that was really what why we decided to move back to Illinois. And uh, and um, so we had been out there from '81 to '94, '93, '94. We we made the the second Storm record in '93, going into '94, and uh, and that's when we made the move. And and uh, so um, so the, the the ironic part about it is. <laughs> is that doing all that? My daughter, you know, grows up in the Midwest. She now lives in Los Angeles. <laughs> she's uh, she's a, 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 a the producer uh, of, uh, of a television show Cougar Town. She's an assistant to the producer for Cougar. Oh, Cougar. Yeah. So she's yeah, and now here she is living in Los Angeles, and you know. And I was like, uh, how how ironic of a twist is that, huh? Right, right. Yeah, but you know what? She got what she needed from being and the the, the principles that she was raised with with in in Illinois as opposed to being in Los Angeles, where that might have been a totally different experience for her. Oh, it would have. You know, you're, the culture is. Uh, you know, I'm not saying anything bad. I mean, you know, there's a lot of great great friends and people that are you know live on the west coast i you know i i love the west coast when i was right. there um you know i i just um it's a different kind of a culture than the midwest and i i'm kind of partial to uh my midwestern roots uh you know i think there's different types of values um we you know we we're just you know uh i just love that corned beef <laughs> it's that beef that's fed by corn. I'm I'm, I'm a, just a meat-eating man, and uh, you know my wife and I have a huge garden, and we just we we get all dirty in the garden, and you know we we grow a lot of our own food and stuff, and that's great. we like that. We like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You know. Well, so okay. uh, no, go so, ahead. so going back to the storm. I mean, you you had like major success with them. You got a BMI award for co-writing and singing. A lot to learn about. I got a lot to learn about love, mm-hmm. and that and the follow-up single "Show Me the Way" led to a U.S. tour with Bernie Adams, and um, 
and you opened for Peter Frampton as well. So what what kind of reaction did you have when you thought about, like, when the group figured, you know, found out that they were going to be opening for Peter Frampton? Well, you know, I want to say that it was um, our manager, uh, one of our managers, Herbie Herbert, uh, who who was the longtime manager for for Journey and Steve Miller and uh, just a lot of bands, uh, Mr. Yeah. Big, uh, Roxette, and uh, you know just he he managed so many big. And by that point, he was kind of really leaning towards retirement. He hadn't quite retired yet, and way that all came down, <clears throat> Greg. Raleigh and I had met many times uh, at 49er games. We sat with Herbie, and, and Herbie Aww. had an owner's, one of the owner's boxes. So we would go to a lot of football games and stuff and together, and then, then Greg and I found ourselves singing background vocals with, um, you know, for other artists, and mm-hmm. we just kept meeting. And so finally um, we figured out what was going on is that Herbie was, would invite uh, Steve, Greg's older brother, to football games and stuff, and then here I am showing up, and they, you know they, they would be hinting around. Well, maybe the two of you guys ought to get together and write some songs. I mean, they literally put us together. side by side, uh, almost week after week. Like, hey, when are you dummies going to write some music together? So uh, after a few uh, games, uh, Steve Raleigh had said to Greg, he said. Uh, Hey, have you and Kevin gotten together and written any songs yet? And Greg said something like, uh, "Well, no, not yet." But he looked at me. He said, ah, "We probably will here pretty soon." And and uh, so in in a in a big brother way, only like a big brother can. Steve says to Greg, "Hey, yeah, that's a good idea. And maybe you could call your band the Procrastinators." <laughs> And then, oh, with that, there's no way we're going to another football game without some music in our hands. Right. So the following day, on a Monday morning, Greg calls me up and says, well, it looks like I'm not going to let my brother get away with calling me a procrastinator. So when can we get together? And I said, well, I don't know. What are you doing this afternoon? So we got together the first day that we got together, we wrote, the main song that we started with, I think, was Show Me The Way. Okay. We wrote that, the first song. And because, um, and, you know, we had gotten together and we just talked. Let's talk about our families. Let's talk about things. What What's important to you? What's important to me? And where can we draw lines together? And, you know, so we, we're very much, very much politically on the same page. You know, we both have families. Our kids were about the same age, you know, all these wonderful things. And so, you know, I said to him, well, do you have any old, like, songs that Steve Perry wasn't interested in? Well, you know, when you were playing in Journey, did did you write a certain piece of music that maybe Steve was like, "Mm, I don't know, maybe I don't like that? And he said, yeah, so it was this. And he plays me the music pretty much the music to show me the way. And I was like, I like that. Can I write to that? So he said, sure. You know, so I took it home and I worked on that. And then we also worked on I've Got a Lot to Learn About Love. Those were the first two songs we wrote. So we got done writing those two songs, and, and he makes at that time a cassette for him and I and then another right. cassette to give to to um, 
uh, uh, Herbie, mm-hmm. and Herbie happens to have it in his Porsche when he goes to see, uh, you know, a Steve Miller concert, and he runs into Bo Hill and uh, Jimmy Iovine, and uh, he plays it for him, and they're like, "Oh, this is great! Wow, man, is this a band?" And really, it was just Greg and I, and I think I maybe at the time had Josh. Uh, Ramos, the guitar player, ended up being the guitar player in the storm. Yeah. He came in and played some guitar on it and stuff. And um, um, so we got a deal, you know. So then one thing leads to another, and when you get to the tour part, you know, the t- the touring part that you were you were referring to. Yeah. Well, Journey had 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 you know uh, Brian Adams open on several tours. For them, oh, and, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, and okay. so the same thing. The same thing with Peter Frampton. You know, I mean, Journey w- would would have Peter open for them all the time. So it was kind of like almost like a payback. Herbie's like, hey, you remember them last seven tours you opened for us? How about you know putting these guys on? They got a record climbing the charts and blah blah blah. So, so Brian's like, okay, yeah, no problem. So. It was kind of like a payback, but it was so good together. I mean, the two bands traveling together, we we really made each other perform better. So if you came to that um, Storm uh, Brian Adams show, oh, you you had a good time, I'm telling you, because every night he would be out front listening to us, and then when he was on, we would be out front listening to him. So the next night, we got to kick it up a notch. And, I mean, by that point, Brian had, like, you know, whatever, 700 number one hits. You know I mean? The guy was just, like, huge, you know. that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the band was pretty excited about doing the tour. We actually toured Canada and the U.S. with Brian and... uh and Peter, it was a lot less dates, but it, it got broken up in two different things. We like we toured with uh, Peter early, right when he first decided to come back and do some stuff. Um, he had been out for a long time, right. and we did a few shows with him. And it was funny because Peter came out, and it was almost like like he had gone to the closet and pulled out all of his clothes from the 70s and put them back on, and here he is, 1990-something. And we, we're looking at each other and saying, dude, that, isn't that the same outfit he was wearing when he played Come Alive? <laughs> and then, you know, and then, we, we, then we'd go and do something with somebody else, and then we'd come back later on, and it was all of a sudden he's like, all right, I decided to get rid of those clothes. I'm just wearing some blue jeans now, mate, you know. So, um yeah, we we you know, but I I worked with I think Peter back even back in the the seven oh seven days. So we we, we I think we you know you you do a day with Ted Nugent one night and then you know we we, we toured with Ted we toured with Ario and but then all of a sudden it's like hey we we picked up a couple dates with Peter Frampton and we jump on with him and when you got a hit record going you know you can jump in and out of different tours here and there depending on where your hot spots are so oh that's that that's so interesting because I, I had no idea about any of that so that's really cool to hear that okay so let's talk about your experience with journey what was that experience like for you stepping in well 
It was. I mean, it was exciting. I mean, I can't lie. I mean, I, I think I think of all the American bands, um, I think Journey. You know, I mean, I'm 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 sold that Journey is is the best of all the American bands, mm-hmm. in my opinion. You know, uh, because of the, they have, and I I I kind of coined the phrase with them. When I tell them, when I I critique the band, when they come to my area or whatever, and I go out and I hear the band, they always want to, well, how did it sound, or what, you know, with this, that, or the other. Right. I, I so I I tell them the truth. If if I think you know that that sucked, <laughs> I'll tell them because they're my brothers, and I can say you know I'll tell them. I'll, I'm I'm going to sugarcoat it. I'll tell them if, a, and um, I um, I had been in bands with. With with Greg and and I was actually before I was in the band with in the storm with Greg, I was in another band with Ross called The View and it was a that um and and, and you know coming out of a band with 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 Ross The View, a couple of the songs that we had recorded but we hadn't gotten a record deal with that band so that band kind of rolled into the storm but two of the songs that came out of the View, uh, Cher cut one of the songs um, uh, and put it on her um, uh, Love Hurts record. Was it Love Hurts? Yeah, I think it was Love Hurts record. Uh, or um, yeah, Love Hurts record. I think is what the name of the song, uh, the record was. And that was called uh, Who You Gonna Believe? And that was right around the same time when, if you remember, Sonny Bono was he had what? written a book about why. Who this what you know? Who who really made Sonny and Cher? He was the right. brains of the operation and all. And Cher came out with "Who Are You Gonna Believe?" It was perfect timing, you know. Um, and I met Cher uh, when we were recording the first the first Storm record. We were mixing it in Los Angeles, and she was at the Village Recorders when we were mixing at the Village Recorders and I actually got to meet her while she was recording that song and it was that was really cool. She's she's actually prettier in person than her photos. You know what I mean? Oh, it's like when I met sure. her I was like, Oh my God, she's stunning and um and I was taller than her and I'm a little bitty guy. That's what blew my mind. I'm talking to her and I'm actually kinda of looking down at her eyes and I'm thinking, Smitty oh. Bono must have come up there, you know. I was uh, yeah, in my armpit or something, you know. So um Sonny must have really been a short guy because she she was I thought she was like seven feet tall when you watch her on T V. Right. But when you're little bitty like that and you put them on T V they look ginormous, you know. So, right. Right. But then, but just recently, this is just a little tidbit. I mean, because I just received last week, I received from Sony uh, some copies of the very best of Starship, and Starship in 1990 recorded one of the songs from the View called "Keys to the City," and they didn't release it then because there was kind of a power play with Diane Warren. Diane had written oh. their hits and and didn't want our song put on the record. She so she kind of forced her hand to put another song on the record. So it got bounced off the record. Well, uh, some some people at at Sony uh or RCA or something said, uh, "Well, you know, we'd like to put that song that you guys cut uh, Keys to the City and put it on the very best of, of Starship. So it made it on the record out of 15 songs. Um, 
got another one of our songs cut. Twenty-two years later. Uh, <laughs> That's I, um, amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I I just mailed out copies to Ross and and Tim and Steph um, uh, and Prairie and all the guys in the band from the from the View. Um, and that's how this business works. Twenty-two years later, you know, you, all of a sudden, it, you know, it'll probably go triple platinum or something, and right. it'll be really cool, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so you, so you had all of these experiences that way. You you went away for a couple of years to kind of just you know stay away for a while, and then you decided to release an album of gospel songs and hymns. Title back to square one. How did this idea for to do an album for gospel music come about? Well, I um, I had recorded, um, you know, I by by the point uh, of being back here, I built this house. Took me a couple years or whatever, and I I was so tired of hammer and nails. I was ready to like rock again. Oh. So I, I, I didn't know what to do because you know, I mean, like the like the storm had sort of, I don't know, sort of disbanded because music right. had taken a real hard left turn and gone into like cop killer rap stuff and grunge right. music. So I always figure I got to get through this time. So I, I actually went to Nashville, and um, and by that point it was like '97, and I cut. Uh, I had met several people that I really enjoyed their work. Uh, Chaz Sanford uh, was um, kind of a guy that I, I had met, and I really, he had worked with Stevie Nicks and uh, John Waite, and uh, he had written Missing You with John Waite, and so a lot of the Stevie Nicks stuff, and I thought, hey, that's kind of cool stuff, and you know, if I'm going to go solo and I'm going to try to do some stuff on my own, it, it's kind of going to have to be a little different than the Storm stuff was, so um, I went down there and 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 worked with like a bunch of big heavyweight guys, you know, uh, Willie Weeks, one of my all-time favorite bass players, and and Chester Thompson uh, played with um, um, what's the name of the band? Uh, Phil Collins and the Genesis, yeah, played drums with Genesis. So uh, black rhythm section. Um, Willie and Chester both being black guys and with a just big groove. Um, then Matt uh, Matt Mikowski, uh, uh, who was who's now a, a kind of a big national producer, played the Hammond B3 and uh, Matt Rawlings. Uh, I'm sorry, Dennis Mikowski and uh, Matt Rawlings, probably the first call piano player in uh, Los, uh, in uh, Nashville. Um, I know played the on the piano on on the record and Chaz played some guitar and I mean it was just a real earthy kind of record and so I kind of liked that thing that kind of feel and stuff and so after I made that record I'm I get a call from a friend of mine uh Roger Stillwell who used to play with the Chicago Bears years ago and Roger was just one of these guys that always supported me and I while I was in California I had been involved in a in an accident where uh, I ended up in the ICU and uh, and this was right kind of before between 707 and the and the view I had uh, had a really 
you know, internal bleeding and stuff, and I, it was kind of a weird thing. I don't talk about it much, but Roger really stepped up um, and, and just really helped me get through that, that period in my life. And mm-hmm. when he called me, um, he had gone through a lot of changes. And, um, you know, the guy had some injuries from football. and um, Sure. So I was sitting in church, one Sunday, and he popped into my head, and I'm like, you know, gosh, what could I do to to help Roger, you know? And in um, that church where where we were going at that time, they played a lot of traditional gospel music and stuff, and that stuff really is like the root of blues music and country music, and um, and it just struck me. I was like, man, that could that could be something I could do. I could just kind of make an unplugged sort of gospel acoustic record. And, I, you know, it wasn't like I'd have to make a big, huge investment in it. Yeah, that's what I'll do. So, um, you know, pulled a few players together, and I made this uh, this unplugged sort of sounding gospel, blues sort of sounding, you know, a lot of old gospel standards and stuff. And, and you know, really to to, to uh, kind of you know try to help him, you know. And uh, since then he's passed away. And uh, um, you know, died a young man. Just uh, you know, it's, it's a sad, 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 sad story. But you know, old football warriors are just like you know they're just like guys who fought in a war, you know. Right. And, uh, so. Uh, and that's that's what kind of led me to do that. Oh, that's that's very that's very wonderful. I mean, that's a very gracious. Obviously, you take um, giving back very seriously, and uh, you do that a lot. Because um, I know about. Um, can you tell us about music to the rescue and what that was all about as well? Well. Um, Music to the Rescue uh, was kind of a, a put-together sort of organization because, uh, uh, well, some some of the people that I, I, I work with, um, one of our agents, and um, Jimmy Jameson, uh, singer from Survivor, he, he lives down in Memphis, and if you recall here about a year and a half, two years ago, there was a major flooding down there in Mississippi. Oh, yeah. And some of the smaller communities, um, a little town called Ripley, Tennessee, um, all the towns around that area were were, um, uh, declared uh, a disaster area and handled uh, and financed by FEMA. But Ripley, for some reason, kind of was sort of like this dot in the middle of this big mess that got overlooked. So uh, we we kind of brought to our attention that you know they could use some help, maybe a little visibility, you know, so that uh, maybe they could get some help down there. And so Jimmy and uh, uh, a couple of the girls, Monica and Deanna, and uh, uh, my my keyboard player Chuck, just you know, and we, we kind of got in a rental van, and some of the guys, some of the folks from IGT. Uh, the gaming company. Uh, there, a lot of the casinos down in that area in Tunica <laughs> had gotten flooded, and they were all out of work. And 
some of those folks lost their homes, uh, all their possessions. And so IGT jumped in and sort of helped us to be able to go in and go to some shelters and um, take them food, take them, um, you know, some hope, basically. Hope hope in a van, if you will. Uh, we um, went in and sang, sang songs to them, played, you know, just sat with them and talked and and then drove around in some of the higher grounds where people were literally camping in tents and campers and whatnot. They hadn't gotten any help from FEMA yet. Uh, so once we went around and, and, and you know, we we went and bought groceries and took it up there, and then we hung out, had burgers with them and beers and, and you know, made some good friends and stuff. And um, um, we decided, well, what we need to do is, get on the radio and get on television and um um bring some bring shed some light on, on mm-hmm. this situation you know so music to the rescue was just basically to um shed, shed a little light on some folks that kind of got overlooked and within i think 24 hours or 48 hours i think it was like it was like a couple of days uh, President Obama, uh, you know, signed the papers to to bring uh, Ripley in that little area, uh, the FEMA help that they needed. So oh. I guess we kind of helped. You definitely did. We, you. we, you know, we put on our capes and our our <laughs> leotards, and we ran out there with our music <laughs> to the rescue on our chest, and we we, you know, we jumped off a couple of tall buildings, and you know, really, really got the press to. <laughs> I mean, you know, really all we were trying to do is there were there were people in need and um we're not heroes. We're just we just wanted people to feel like, you know, hey, we came from Chicago and we heard about you guys, so we came to see what we could do to help. Oh man, just to be there was just to know that we came from a, you know, that other people outside of the area knew that what they were going through. That brought them some some uh, focus, you know, and, and they didn't feel like they were not being. And what was really interesting was that there were one lady we met there was from Illinois, who had who, who was living down there now, and just the way, wow, you know, you guys heard about this? Oh yeah, we we came because we heard that you guys were oh tears buckets. We had to go get buckets and mops from the tears, you know, the you know, but. So that really, that was really a beautiful thing. So it was absolutely, absolutely. Help, you know. Well, if if you want more information on that, I have an email here, info at talentconceptsinc.com. You can email, or you can call about it seven zero two five three zero nine zero nine nine if you want to have more information on that. Um, so you, you've had you've had you've had a couple or or several solo albums, and I know that you did Fight the Freedom which are 13 of your favorite Journey hits. Um, but then you have a new solo album with your band, Two Fires, titled Burning Bright, which is out now. Can you tell us about it, and, and what's the difference between the two albums? Well, I'll tell you. You know, my association with Journey was um, really, um, it's just been, it's gone on for a long time. And, the, the 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 people who actually heard me sing with the band just uh, always were really gracious and 
they'd get online and 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 you know say good good things about me. So then mm-hmm. I that would just spur more and more people. Like, gosh, I wish I could hear you sing those songs. You know, <laughs> I could tell you could do a good job on those songs and stuff. So yeah, it just came down the the line more of like an idea. Like, well, you know. Why can't I sing those songs? I don't necessarily have to be with Journey to sing those songs. I can sing those songs. And so I got a hold of my attorney and I said, "Would you just set this up so that I could, you know, sing these songs, put them on a record, and uh, release them?" So he did, and we did it. You know, and they they did it. They you know they basically gave me their blessing and to go ahead and do it and. Uh, and so then, from that point, people were like, "Man, would would you come and sing them down here where we live, or whatever?" You know. So then, pretty soon, the idea came. Well, um, maybe I could uh, just do like Kevin Shelfont's Journey Experience, and that's that's kind of one of the shows that I'm doing now. Uh-huh. And I, you know, so now I mean that's that's what I'm bringing to um, Las Vegas is my Journey mm-hmm. Experience. The Voices of Rock Radio, um, which is basically the same band, but the difference between the the Journey Experience and the Voices of Rock Radio is that um, I will sing some of the Journey stuff, I'll sing some of the 707 stuff, I'll sing some of the, you know, this, that, and the other thing, the Two Fire stuff, and then we have other singers come in and work with the band. Derek St. Holmes from the Ted Nugent Band, John Cafferty from the Beaver Brown Band, Wally Palmer from the Romantics, Jimmy Jameson who has worked with Target and Survivor, and, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, there's Charlie Hewn from Foghat, um, Don Barnes from 38 Special, you know, there's just JoLynn Turner was with Rainbow. I mean, there's a whole cast of people that I've toured with in the past that if, you know, if somebody wants to hire us and we want to they want to do a Voices of Rock radio show, it's like it's like a festival within a band, you know what I mean? So, right. Oh, it's fantastic. No, it sounds It really is. It, it, it's good because people who come to hear that genre of music, these are all the guys who are on the radio at exactly. the same time. You know, exactly. in the 70s and 80s. Yes, legends. Legends is what I call them. Um, rock legends. Do you have any rituals before you hit the stage that you have to go through? Um. Well, you know, I warm up a little bit and stuff like that. But 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 what's funny is um, my old manager Herbie, and I don't know if this is what you're referring to or whatever. But Herbie used to say, you know, he would he would be telling his friends, you know, uh, when we played at the L.A. Forum, I didn't real. I had some friends there, and my family was there, and so I didn't get a big warm up time where I would go in and sometimes I'd go in the shower and just you know, sing a little bit and warm up and stuff. And I but I was so hungry. Everybody kept talking to me and I never really got a bite to eat and it was like all of a sudden it's like, You gotta go on ten minutes. I'm like, What? So we sent a runner out to go just run over to Burger King and go get him a burger or whatever. So this guy runs in, hands me this this like cheeseburger and I'm like, Oh no, it's got cheese on it. So okay, whatever. So I just wolf this thing down and they said, all right, get up on the stage. So I run up on the stage, and I sing. And 
Herbie would tell everybody, yeah, you should see Shelfont's warm-up. It's like he turns around, eats a cheeseburger, and then runs on the stage and just, like, nails it. That You know, and, and so it's funny because we, Herbie and I, I, I talked to him from time to time, and, and, and he was telling me, I, I called him to tell him thank you because he had helped me get some McCartney tickets. Uh-huh. And I told him, I said, I went to see McCartney. And so he goes, you know what, dude, i got to tell you. I, I used to really boast you up and tell people how you would just warm up by eating a cheeseburger and run up on the stage. He says, but I had, he Herbie used to own this company, Nocturne Productions, and they did all the big video screens and lighting and whatnot. And he had them following McCartney around. And that guy is not human. He doesn't drink water. The whole he'll do a, a sound check, and he'll go through the whole entire show at sound check, and then he comes back and sings the whole entire set. Doesn't drink a sip of water, the whole show or whole sound check. He's unhuman, you know. That's so he goes, I used to talk about you singing, you know, after eating a cheeseburger, but now, dude, McCartney has trumped you, man. He doesn't even take a swig of water. All right, so I guess it, I guess I can let McCartney <laughs> be my well, girl all over again. Right, I was going to say, he's a good one to be trumped by, I guess. <laughs> well, it was probably because of McCartney that, I mean, that that guy was probably my my all time favorite, and when I was like you know back in the day when they played on the Ed Sullivan Show, that's why I wanted to get into music, watching wow. those guys, you know. So yeah, see, it was it was Paul McCartney for you, and Jimmy Jamison told me it was Elvis for him. Yeah. So yeah, it's all the legends that that led you where you are. Uh, well, again, uh, you are performing um, as part of the Rock and Roll Marathon. At, you're going to be doing the pre-race at the Luxor um, at 2 p.m. That's in funny. Las Vegas. That, that's funny. I, I, I thought it was Mandalay Bay, but I guess I'm going to the Luxor. I, whatever. I don't care. Just take me where i got to go. where you need to go. And that's on December 2nd, people. Um, thank you so much for, for spending this time with us. It was a joy having you here. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, oh, absolutely. You know, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. Oh, good. I, it was like dipping back in history. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I hope you come to Las Vegas. Okay. I will, I will see what I can do about getting there. Okay. <laughs> thank you, okay. Kevin. You too. Okay. Bye bye. Okay, that will conclude our our um, show for today. Um, that will conclude our show for this evening. Have a good night, and uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you. Bye bye.